0: No. <laughs> <laughs> all right I will I will kick it off hi welcome welcome to the Nomi podcast my name is Lindsay and if you haven't already noticed Normandy's not with me today and so <laughs> we have the lovely Sammy joining me so do you want to just like tell us a little bit about yourself
1: Um, let's see. I'm Sam. I am a mother of two little boys. I am married to a wonderful husband named John. I don't know why I said it that way. A wonderful man (laughs) named John. Guy that I married, I guess, is all right. Yes. (laughs) Um, and uh we have two great dogs and I am an accountant, but not like a TikTok accountant. An actual accountant. An actual accountant, so I'm not as cool in that sense. Um, and I love to read books
0: yes we uh, definitely share a love of books so we we've known each other for a really long time actually yeah. we went to high school together like freshman sophomore year yeah like fourteen and 15. Like 15 years ago and uh I ended up moving out here and then you ended up moving out here and we didn't talk to each other for a long time and now we're friends again yeah. <laughs> which is great. So yeah, that's good. That's a good intro. Yeah. You're here. You're you're ready. Um, so we start every episode. We do a question of the day that each other answers. And so today, the question is, what would your younger self not believe about your life today?
1: Oh, let's see. COVID got a little crazy and uh, I decided to get six tattoos in like a matter of nine months so <laughs> I am definitely somebody who likes to binge things and tattoos were one of them yeah so yeah I don't think that my younger self would have thought that I would have so many tattoos <laughs> let
0: alone one yeah uh my younger self definitely never would have thought that I would have as many children as I have <laughs> like my my dream life as a, a teenager I mean even before that I was my goal in life was to be like a photojournalist and travel the world and live alone and like have no one (laughs) (laughs) and now I uh, have a family and live in the suburbs and it's really weird and not at all where I thought my life would end up so definitely yeah we're
1: it's the life is crazy. Definitely not where I thought you'd be. No. To be honest. <laughs> I was thinking, like, live alone, New York City. Mm-hmm. Well,
0: and that's the funny thing that me and Normandy always talk about is that, like, she kind of wanted to have the life that I have, and I kind of wanted to have the life that she has. <laughs> so it's like this weird dynamic. She's like, I'm alone in the city, and I'm like, I mean, that sounds great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Okay, so... We're gonna try to keep things moving because we have a lot to talk about today. So much to talk about. Today we're talking about sexuality, sex positivity, consent, BDSM, kinks, fetishes. Yeah, just sex. <laughs> and I'm really gonna try to stop myself from singing that song. I was just thinking <laughs> the same thing. <laughs> and I'm like, that's so. <sighs> We're not going to do it. <laughs> so my first question that I have on the list is um, what was the narrative around sex that you
1: grew up hearing? OK, so my background is kind of interesting in growing up. So I grew up in a very conservative conservative household. Um, my dad is a nurse. And then my mom, um, for a really long period of time, was an abstinence educator. <laughs> blows my mind yeah it's kind of crazy and I was known uh throughout um the area that we lived in was very small when mm-hmm. I was growing up and so um the high schoolers knew me as the sex lady's daughter <laughs> and I actually had a couple teachers that would call me the sex lady's daughter me being like a 10 year old walking yeah, through that's the hallway super <laughs> appropriate um but it was just it was very interesting because um there was this kind of veiled attempt at openness around sex and sexuality, but mm-hmm. in reality um, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, my mom taught abstinence education and now in later years, um, we have talked about it and have talked about how that is not our preferred method of um, talking about sex. Um, and you know hindsight is 2020. And my mom was like, I really wish yeah. that I would have talked to you guys more about sex ed. Right. Um, and that's kind of how I want to move forward with my own little family. Um, but I really appreciated the tenets of the abstinence program in a certain aspect because they, t- they really focus a lot on um, relationships and healthy relationships. Mm-hmm. So not only healthy relationships with your sexual partners, but with your family as well, because they really want you to want you to be grounded in like a family type
0: mm-hmm.
1: of um, culture because they yeah. believe that family will help you achieve those goals of abstinence. Oh, yeah. <laughs>
0: so, oh yeah. Yeah. Okay.
1: <laughs> so um, I, yeah, it was, there was this attempt at talking about sexuality and being ex- accepting of it, but uh, heaven forbid, I would say anything, in regards to wanting to kiss anybody, right. be in relationships with anybody. Yeah. Um, I was very much, I was the oldest girl and um, my dad would frequently like kind of put me down and be like, you shouldn't be kissing any boys or liking any boys. And I'm like, oh dad, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. <laughs> but then my mom would be like, why aren't you kissing any boys? Why aren't you like hugging any boys? And then I got the question, are you a lesbian? Oh my god. No. And it's just like that doesn't just default me right. to that. So yeah, that's kind of a, a couple overview. bullet points yeah. of what I grew up with with sexuality and sex.
0: I mean, that's that's more than I grew up with. I don't know that I have have ever had a conversation with either of my parents mm. about sex, whether it be birth control mm. or sexuality. I mean. <clears throat> I also grew up it's kind of different because I grew up in like a split home so like my mom was super super conservative and then my dad was like not religious at all and was very much just like live your life do no harm take no shit. that's kind of my dad's motto and very much the (laughs) motto that I live by (laughs) so um but yeah I don't think either of them were comfortable talking about it. And I think the mindset was just like, oh, they'll learn about sex at school. And that ended up being really, really bad for me. Well, yeah, I'm going to say that it was pretty bad for me just because when I started to get a little bit older and I had those curiosities. I didn't really have anybody to turn to. Yeah. So what did I turn to? <laughs> the internet. <laughs> yeah. Ding ding ding. <laughs> yeah. So like I found porn at way too young of an age. Um, I experimented with with people at way too young of an age. And um I think that's part of why it's taken me so long to like kind of figure out what my sexual identity is, Mm -hmm. because I didn't really have any direction or support. And so I was always just kind of winging it. And I think that I predominantly dated men because I felt that was like the expectation. Yeah. And I was like, okay, well, that's what everybody's doing, whatever. And then there was like this whole other side of myself that I didn't like really look at at all, even though my... (laughs) First sexual experiences. Several of my first sexual experiences were with women. Yeah. And so, as time has gone on, I'm like, oh, I'm bi.
1: (laughs) That's what that is. (laughs) Which I like. Did you have any role models or anything put in front of you that would even kind of turn your head towards that direction and make you question
0: when you were younger? um i don't know where role models but i definitely remember moments i always really thought that topanga was so hot (laughs) that dates that dates yeah (laughs) we're old (laughs) getting older all the time but i just remember watching that show and like I, I remember specifically having a sleepover with one of my friends, and we were watching that show. And she was talking about how, what's Corey's best friend's name with the floppy hair? Yeah, I, I want to say his name was like Sean or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My friend was like, he's so sexy, and I'm just like, tanga. <laughs> 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 so but it felt like one of those things. Growing up in a really religious household, like you don't do those things. Nope, nope. And my mom was. My mom was homophobic. Yeah. Like, I just remember several occasions where we'd like maybe see a gay couple holding hands, or you'd see a gay kiss on TV or something, and she'd just be like, that's disgusting. And she would just freak out. Yeah. And so I think my mind immediately was like, oh, that's not okay. We're going to not talk about yeah. that. Because that was kind of how I survived um, my upbringing it was just like, oh, okay, well, that makes people upset. So I'm just going to pretend. That sounds high to me. Yeah, yeah. So I ended up having, I think, a lot of really interesting experiences, and um was probably over over sexualized at a young age mm. because of a lot of, of just yep, just being on the internet by myself yeah. in my room all the time and. I started dating really young and uh, those relationships got sexual way faster than they should have, and, you know, just well, not I, knowing
1: better. I feel like a lot of the times when we don't have instruction from either, like our parents or even other adults that we trust that oftentimes, just like you said, you're going to search for it or somebody introduces it to you and you not knowing any different. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. like. I know with my first boyfriend, I was like, oh, this is how we kiss. Mm-hmm. Like the first person that I ever kissed, I was like, oh, this is apparently how we kiss. And then like I kissed other people and I'm like, oh, so that's not the only way to kiss mm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of like what what has somebody introduced you to yeah. and just said is the norm, but it's not necessarily yeah. what is normal for that age or for that person or right.
0: Well, and sexuality, I think is just such a big part of your identity. Mm -hmm. And when you grow up in an environment where people are just like, just put that whole part of yourself in a closet and pretend it doesn't exist. Here's your template.
1: Yeah. Oh, you were born with a vagina. Okay, yeah. you like men, you dress in dresses. Mm-hmm. And...
0: See, and that's the thing too, is I think a big part of why I always felt so uncomfortable in my skin growing up was because I had to be feminine. And that was so bizarre for me. Yeah. So like now I like to do my hair and I like to do my makeup and stuff, but it's all definitely a little bit edgier. And then I definitely dress like a bisexual <laughs> Like, I, I just, I, I can't do anything else, because it feels, so, it doesn't feel like me.
1: Yeah. So, I was definitely, um so I'm the only girl in my family, and I was definitely pushed towards the very feminine, oh, yeah. and I was not, I, w- if you want to call it tomboy, like, that's, that's what I was. I, in the fourth grade, I wanted to cut my hair super short and donate my hair and it ended up being like Sean's haircut from Boy Meets
0: World. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but I also wanted
1: to play flag football because it was the first year that they were doing a boy girl flag football team mm-hmm. and my parents made me choose i was not allowed to have a boy haircut and do a boy sport because i was already doing softball and basketball and having
0: two boy
1: yeah (laughs) and like i was made to wear pink things i remember specifically for my 14th birthday all of my stuff that was gotten or was bought for me was literally pink with sparkles or pink with fur yeah and i was like (laughs) in what world is this me and i remember telling my mom and saying like mom this this isn't me Mm -hmm. this isn't me at all Mm -hmm. and she's like well just swear it for your father and i remember going to school and my friends who knew me Mm -hmm. super super well and even my math teacher said sam what are you wearing and i got laughed at because people were like this is not you at all yeah this is absolutely different yeah so molds yeah not good
0: yeah it definitely i think it makes it harder for you to kind of develop those those identities yeah
1: um
0: yeah the other thing i was taught was like sex was purely for the purpose of making babies oh so like when yeah and so my mom was like that's why you don't have sex until you're married because you can't have babies until you're married
1: and i was just like what well, about i don't want to have babies but i still want to have sex <laughs> I remember my mom saying that, like, sex can be fun, but I had never been taught that it was purely for just having kids or yeah, that you could have it for sport <laughs> or yeah. for pleasure, I guess, is right. the word that we should be using. Um, yeah, so that was, yeah, just never really talked about.
0: Yeah, I don't think that, I mean...
1: don't talk about that in health class
0: that's just not that's just not part of the the subject Mm -hmm. it's you know what are the mechanics not like this is an important part of who you are you should figure out what's going on
1: (laughs) how do you feel about it well you know that that actually like really segues really well into our next topic Mm of masturbation like Mm -hmm. what feels good what doesn't feel good (laughs) yeah um I don't know you have a question here that says can you have good sex with a partner before taking the time to learn what you like I don't think you can I know well I'm not gonna say anything from I'm just gonna say from experience like Mm -hmm. the partner that I have had has said like does this feel good does this not feel good Mm -hmm. and I'm like I don't know yes Mm -hmm. no and because like masturbation was very frowned upon I mean we both grew up in a very similar conservative background and like masturbation was mainly talked about for males Mm -hmm. not even for females right and like so for it to be frowned upon for males like and then just not talking about it for females at all Mm -hmm. and not to say that I didn't because I totally did yeah But I thought it was like the ultimate sin. <laughs> um, but like when my partner asked me about it, I was like, I don't like, I, I feel too embarrassed to tell you, yes, this feels good or no, it doesn't feel good. And I still struggle with that. It's, it's so
0: hard. Uh, yeah. Well, and I had never been in a situation where a partner had asked me that before. Oh. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's better now, but... Like in my previous marriage, that wasn't a conversation. In all of my past relationships, that wasn't a conversation. And I think that that's also something that's kind of perpetuated by like shame. Yeah, The shame around sexuality. It's like people don't talk about it, they just do it. And I think that some boys, especially with like porn coming into play more and more often, or as it gained popularity, because that's kind of the interesting thing about the time that we grew up in. It was like we were becoming teenagers when porn was like hitting the internet in a way that it became so much more accessible. Yeah. You know, you didn't have to try to like dig up somebody's Playboy or
1: you know? or buy it at the store right. without right shame or yeah. or whatever. Yeah.
0: And so I think that for a lot of guys. Maybe they
1: felt the pressure to, like, already know what they were supposed to be
0: doing. I mean,
1: I can't... Or the immediate gratification that a woman feels in porn. Right. That it's just like, oh, I touched her shoulder and she's orgasmic. (laughs) Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Or it's like, I just do what feels good to me and she'll like it too, you know? So, I've had a lot of really negative sexual experiences from that standpoint. So, we'll just say... Not until my 20s was I ever able to actually achieve orgasm with a partner. Yeah. You know, I knew knew what I was doing.
1: (laughs) Like you knew what it felt like to Mm have fun, but not necessarily with a
0: partner. Yeah. And so for a long time, even, I was just like, is this just like, am I broken? Is this just my problem? Is like what needs to happen? And I've never been super good at being like assertive Yeah. with, I do this funny thing where I'm like very combative with people I don't know. And then when I'm, when you like reach my inner circle and I just care so much about, about that person and they have my loyalty. I just like, I'm just like, I don't, don't leave me. So I'm going to do everything I can to like protect this relationship and just like love the crap out of you (laughs) and I have like definitely had an issue in the past with like martyring myself to relationships and um don't do that that's bad (laughs) yeah
1: because like pleasure is for both or whoever maybe not even both maybe multiple people Mm -hmm. like everybody's here for the party let's make sure everybody's feeling welcome at the party you know that's sad so, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I think masturbation is very important. Um, that was also something that was like super frowned upon in our house. And also something that I don't think my parents thought was something that was happening in, t- in their house until they had a son. Yeah. And then like, I heard a lot about <laughs> that. issues that happened with that,
1: <laughs> but yeah, but there, there, again, there's another really good example that it's not even thought of until a male is entering the world or you know uh, somebody who is projecting a male
0: yeah yeah i mean and so i think throughout (laughs) this episode we're probably not going to be able to like always keep things super gender neutral like this is very much coming from our own experiences and our experiences being so conservative the only options really were male and
1: female yes like that is a very good point yeah
0: Yeah. so we're not over here trying to like not represent all genders and um non-binary folks or anything like that it's we're just kind of speaking from i think our younger experiences and that's really what what the world was yeah for us and and still is for people in my life that way so um i've become kind of a lot more reclusive in terms of those relationships just because i'm like you guys suck, and you're mean to people, so i just be over here. Yeah. Oh, man. Um, so I know that you said that your mom taught abstinence.
1: Yeah. Were you
0: taught abstinence in high school?
1: Um, in Ohio, I was, because that okay. was a program of okay. the, I can't remember if it was the county or the state, but there was a really big push for abstinence education. Um, my high school there was known as Pregnant Valley. Um, I can name at least 10 of my friends who either got pregnant and had their children or got pregnant in high school and did not have children. Um, I got pregnant in high school. (laughs) um, and so it was just a very big concern for Mm -hmm. the area that we lived in, um, Mm -hmm. about having girls, not necessarily even walking away with their degree because we still only had 50% of my class graduate at that Mm -hmm. point but just getting out <laughs> without having babies. Yeah. Um, but when I moved to Virginia, it was a sex ed. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember specifically because I was very defensive about my mom's job of being um, a sex educator that one of the questions that they asked, I was like, why don't you teach sex education? Why don't you teach abstinence education? This was before my education and I was still very much a child mm-hmm. asking this question. Um, and, uh, the educator was very, very diplomatic and was just like, yes, abstinence is of course the only way to 100% prevent pregnancy Mm -hmm. and STIs, but it is not the only, um, way to use contraception. And Mm -hmm. so she's like, we focus a lot on the other ones because they're ones that take more steps when it comes to abstinence education it is something that is just very much internalized for that one person Mm -hmm. uh, most of the time um, unless something has been happened upon them Um, but with other ways of contraception it's usually like you have to go out and buy condoms or you need to go to your doctor to get a prescription for birth control
0: Mm -hmm.
1: or you know spermicides or whatever is your method of contraception and so she's like we try to use these moments to teach the harder things, um, that are, uh, not as ready, readily available to sexually active teens. Mm -hmm. And at the time I was like, oh, okay. But I look back on that now and I'm like, good, good. Because people don't, not everybody hears that in the home, that there are options. I didn't hear that there were options in the home, Mm -hmm. like period.
0: Yeah. Nothing.
1: Yeah. And so like, I, I mean, my mom and I have talked about it and she's like, I really wish that I would have taught you guys how to put on a condom and that there are more ways than just condom and birth control that you can use to prevent children or STIs or what different STIs there are that are out there, you know, I mean, Mm -hmm. we touched on that slightly, but like I said before, the abstinence education was more about healthy relationships and knowing when to cut off abuse, which are very, very important things to teach children because I feel like We don't get a lot of that either. Right. But I think that we need to blend those two types of programs talking about healthy relationships and healthy sex and sexuality.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: But I feel like also the educator that I had in Virginia was very inclusive when it came to sex inclusive for the time, Mm -hmm. um, because she talked about male on male, um, female on female interactions and, um, and that was just something that I had never heard of before. I mean, I knew that there were people that um, were gay or that were lesbian or bisexual, mm-hmm. but because I wasn't or didn't know at the time, or didn't even think to ask, that was just not something that I knew about or knew how they did. Right? You know? Right? So, yeah, that was. Those were the two different programs that I was taught
0: yeah no I I remember the so in Virginia the program starts in middle school and it talks a lot about like going through puberty and how babies are made and like all the like mechanics but then when you get into high school it does expand into um, safe sex contraception yeah. um, STIs all that kind of stuff so I I definitely had that similar experience and then I moved out to Utah Okay, so you got the reverse
1: of what yeah,
0: I Yeah, yeah. Well, so the thing too was that like, I was a little bit older and I was also at a charter school when I moved out here. And so like, I don't even think there was a sex ed program or if there was, I was too old for it or whatever. And I'm pretty sure what they teach is abstinence only, but also I just started having interactions with people that I realized how little they knew.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, Like I don't think I'm going to get into all of it because there's a lot, but just I, I remember talking to a girl not long after I'd moved out here, like at the start of the first school year, and she was like talking about her first ever boyfriend. She was like 16, mind you. She's like, we made out the other night. I think I'm pregnant. And I was just like, that's not, that's not. how that works. That's not
1: pregnancy. And so I'm like
0: sitting here trying to explain it to this girl, and she's just like, "I, I don't know. I, I, I'm just terrified to tell my parents." And I'm like, "Don't tell your parents. You don't have to. Like, you're okay. It's okay." Yeah. And, and I just kind of. It was this very weird moment where I was just like, "I am. I'm in a very different place now. You know." Um, yeah, that shit was rough <laughs> but also like I knew all these things I didn't always necessarily have access to them my mom was very anti-birth control I always tried to kind of use the guise of um my period is really bad can I get on birth control to help? me is really bad yeah. yep <laughs> whatever it was because I just I you know, I was sexually active by the time I was 17 and I didn't want to have something stupid happen. <laughs> then something stupid. <laughs> happened. And I was pregnant at 19 and I dropped out of school. And um, that was a really crazy experience. Just like being a teen mom, I felt very judged and that was really hard <laughs> it was really hard for me yeah so um like i'm grateful now that i that it happened the way that it happened because i don't think i would have ended up having kids yeah otherwise and i love my children they're just the sweetest kids in the world and they came that way i did not make them that <laughs> way <laughs> they just showed up and they were really chill which was nice um yeah but also like I don't think I was ever really provided with the option to even think about abortion or even, like, adoption for my kids because there just weren't resources that I felt were accessible. Um, and so, like, I, I, the first few years of my kids' lives were really rough mm-hmm. So we were not in a good space financially. Like, I wasn't able to provide them with a, an adequate life. I felt, I think things are a lot better now, but... Uh, it's so a rough, it was just a rough time. Just bad times. <laughs> but
1: ultimately it ended good. That's
0: yeah, hard. no, it worked out really, really well. Um but yeah, I wish that consent was something I was taught more about. You know, contraception was something I was taught more about. We're gonna talk a lot about consent, because consent is so so important. So important. It's everything.
1: Okay.
0: So yeah. You have some amazing thoughts and feelings on
1: consent, so I'm going to pass over to you to kick that off. I feel like I'm just maybe not necessarily have great ideas about it, but I'm very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. Um, I took a human sexuality class um, when I was finishing up my degree in psychology, and that was very eye-opening for me. Um, and it was just very eye-opening about how early you can talk to children about sexuality or sex. Mm -hmm. And before I like get too far into that, mind you, it's not like talking to your two year old or like my two and three year old and like giving the full anatomy and telling them this is what happens during sex. Like you, you start in like small little increments. And one of the first steps is teaching them consent. Teaching them that um, their opinions and how they feel is important, mm-hmm. but also how other people's opinions and feelings are important. So, um, saying like, "Oh, are you mad? Okay, why are you mad?" and mm-hmm. we talk about it because every once in a while, like we we have moments where like my kids will hit each other. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, "Okay, well, why did you hit so and so?" I was mad okay let's let's talk about that because right now what you did is violate and I don't use violate as a word with my kids because they definitely don't understand that but kind of trying to get the idea across of you just violated your brother's boundaries of like Mm -hmm. touch and you forcibly acted upon him his bodily autonomy yeah and so like we talk about okay well I'm mad because he took my ball well Then we talk to the other child and say, well, you know, you just took his ball and he didn't say that that was okay. And so you start with like these little steps of teaching them that yes, their feelings are valid. Their feelings are important. Mm -hmm. And, but at the same time you teach them that other people's feelings are valid and important. And just because, just because your feelings and, um, yeah, just the way that you feel is valid does not mean that it invalidates somebody else's feelings either. Mm-hmm. And so we have a lot of times in our household where I like say, hey, can you go do such and such? And I hear no. <laughs> and as a parent, you just want to say, well, I just said, you know, like you just say, "We'll go and do it because I'm your parent. right? And that definitely kind of crumbles that foundation of consent
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and so we like to use that a lot because we're want we're, we're trying to teach our kids that um adults don't have all the answers and just because an adult tells you something does not mean that it is right and yeah. in doing so we are trying to prevent abuse we are trying to prevent somebody trying to take advantage of either of our kids mm-hmm. or say that our kids are the perpetrators, like we don't want them feeling like it is okay to take advantage of somebody else, whether it's emotionally, physically, mentally, you know, just respecting other people's boundaries. And when I say take advantage of it, doesn't always mean to the greatest extent of where physical harm is done, but it just applies to everybody's life.
0: Yeah. I mean, consent and boundaries exist in every single kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. And So, I know from my personal experience, I've just started to develop personal boundaries like within the last couple of years. Yeah. Because I was never really taught that as a kid. It was always like, do what your parents say, Um, you know. Respect your elders. Yeah. Because I said so. Oh, go hug your grandma. Well, I want to go hug my grandma because she's going to kiss me on the lips and it's gross. But like, you know, you're going to do it because we said do it. Mm -hmm. And, I really didn't understand like how much that was affecting me until I started to really get into therapy. And I started to realize like, I have serious, like overstimulation issues. I have serious anxiety issues. I've been sexually assaulted. So like, if I feel like somebody's too close to me physically, I start to feel really overwhelmed. And then I learned like, it's okay to feel that way. And it's also okay to ask for your space. Yeah. It's okay to protect your mental health. It's okay to protect, you know, the life that you, you live. Yeah. Um,
1: it's okay to take up space. I love that. Yes. It's okay to take up space. Like you don't have to make yourself small. You don't have to give up a part of yourself to make somebody else yeah, thank
0: comfortable. God for that, because I can't.
1: <laughs> <laughs> as she like goes out and
0: stretches out. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's very true. Because that's something I remember feeling when I was in high school was just like trying to like shrink myself as much as as much as humanly possible, which for me didn't ever really turn out being very possible. <laughs> but um. Yeah, no, that's, that's something that I, I've also tried to teach my kids, like, it's okay to have boundaries. It's okay. Um, I'm really big on talking about, you do not have to hug anybody if you don't want to. Yeah. It doesn't matter who it is. Yeah. You know, um, and I just try to keep everything very open-ended because in my youth, it was all, there's one way that you do everything. Yeah. And I want them to see that there are other avenues. I want them to have the agency to make their own choices. And like, I also want them to feel safe enough to like do that without fearing repercussions.
1: Yeah. It's asking more like, can you go hug or do you mind or will you? Yes. Because there is very much, it gives that person the agency to do what they want. Right. And showing them that what they want is valid yeah and yeah I didn't grow up with that either it was go do this go do this and it still is and that is where (laughs) I myself and trying to teach my own children and my husband and I talking about consent between the two of us Mm -hmm. because that has been a very big thing in our marriage um trying to rewire my brain and the people who are immediately around me Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) and having them respect that and it's really hard groundwork to lay can i just say that it It is is so hard and some people don't like it but you can take up space yep you have and you can
0: have needs and you can ask for the things that you need you can ask for the things that you need exactly (laughs) 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 <laughs> what a wild concept <laughs> yeah. and and that was something that I really wasn't familiar with until like very very recently right. because I was I was used to blowback. anytime I'd ever ask for something it would be taken taken wrong it would be manipulated and twisted mm-hmm. like I have a lot of um I have a lot of manipulative and narcissistic people in my past that I've had to kind of I guess like crawl out of their web and and unlearn a lot of the things that were taught to me in terms of like just being compliant even when I didn't want to be. Yeah. And um so yeah, I'm trying to teach that to my kids now. I'm also trying to build a much healthier foundation with, with my husband in terms of communication and and that's always the piece it comes back to. It's just like you have to talk about it. You have to talk about what your needs are, you have to talk about what your triggers are. Like if you don't do that, there's all of this unsaid stuff and everybody's feelings get hurt. <laughs> yeah. And then you have to like clean up a mess that didn't even have to be made, yeah. at least in my experience. So, and it can be taught with kids. They need to know how to make their own boundaries so they don't fall into abusive relationships, um, abusive
1: friendships, because that's totally a thing. Big time. Thing. Boy, howdy, you have I been there? Yeah. So, or even like, I mean, we have this thing called the internet, mm-hmm. and like you can create relationships online that are healthy and not healthy. I mean, mm-hmm. um, they're a really good example was what I was talking to you about, like maybe a couple months ago, about the blue whale, where people on Instagram were trying to, oh, yeah, 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 pretty much just mentor people into committing suicide. And so mm-hmm. they took a very vulnerable teenager as young as like I think it was 13 Mm. um, and putting them through these trials because they could right kind of like a hazing and and just breaking them down to the point where they they were told that now you are worthy enough to receive suicide Uh. and so like there's that whole other that whole other aspect of the unknown friend or the unknown Mm -hmm. relationship yeah And I think that, I mean, kind of to go off of that with consent and then abusive relationships in terms of like friends and family and stuff like that, Mm -hmm. say like you are somebody who doesn't have great parents that are leading you or trying to do things for you the right way, or maybe you just don't feel comfortable about talking or talking about things with them, Mm -hmm. um, is having like five adults who you feel like you can go to that Mm -hmm. was like another really big linked thing with the consent in my human sexuality class was talking about make sure to have your children have five other adults besides yourself or your spouse Mm -hmm. or your partner um, that they can go to and and you know that if they went to them that they would be taken care of Mm. mentally physically Um, emotionally and know that like, you wouldn't have to, (laughs) you wouldn't have to worry about them, Mm -hmm. about the advice that they're giving them. Right. Um, Because maybe something does happen to them and they don't feel comfortable coming to you about it. Or maybe, yeah, like their consent has been violated or maybe they violated somebody else's consent and they need to talk to somebody and they just don't feel like right now is the right time to talk to you or maybe never. Mm knowing that they have somebody else to look up to to share their sexuality with their consent issues maybe their abuse issues mm-hmm. um that's so so important yeah to have a community because yeah like, a support system yeah
0: for sure for sure um it's so damaging to not I feel like I'm coming from this other end of like I didn't right. <laughs> and shit
1: was hard for me yeah. <laughs> so um Because I didn't feel like I had any adults that I could truly, truly go and talk
0: to. Oh, yeah, no. There was no, 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 no trust.
1: No trusting other
0: adults when I was a kid because they would always go back to my mom. Yeah. And then even if I was trying to have like a vulnerable moment or express how I was feeling, like it would come back to my
1: mom and then like
0: somehow I would get in trouble.
1: Right. I think I had one teacher who i felt like i could do that with and mm-hmm. that was mrs martinez the, our sign language oh, teacher I loved her she's the nicest she's absolutely amazing but that wasn't somebody that my parents introduced me to or right. fostered that relationship with that right. adult or even knew that that person was very very important to me mm-hmm. um so I don't, yeah i don't know like just yeah teach kids the type of people that they can trust.
0: Yeah, I mean, and also I think teach kids, not that I ever want my children to feel afraid of the world, but I felt so incredibly unprepared for the real world when I entered into it because I was such a naturally trusting person. Yeah, And then I would like get screwed over all the time. And I'm like, why is this happening? And I slowly kind of had to realize like, people are not great. Yeah. And you really have to like go looking for those people and you need to be cautious with who you really like fully open yourself up to because like people will, they'll clue in on those vulnerabilities and they will take advantage. Yeah. Um, which is hard because like, I'm all about being vulnerable, Mm -hmm. but you know, I've also had that used against me. Yeah.
1: But are the, I mean, it sounds like, and at least from my perspective, either like neither one of us were really taught how to truly be a, be vulnerable. Mm-hmm. Like we knew what people wanted us to parrot to them. Mm-hmm. I feel safe. I feel fine. I feel happy. I'm getting good grades. I have a great boyfriend or a great girlfriend. Yeah. Not even a girlfriend. If I said that, that would have been like, Whoo! oh yeah. <laughs> no no <laughs> but like we we had people that we could parrot or mimic mm-hmm. certain behaviors but yeah I feel like I just didn't have I wasn't taught yeah how to be truly vulnerable yeah or how who no I, I was, could do that with I was
0: taught how to say what I needed to say to to get in as little trouble as possible yeah or I just stopped talking there was also like a point where I was so depressed and like so afraid that I just like became almost completely nonverbal. Ooh. And that's when I went to the mental hospital for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> we'll save that for another episode. <laughs> but uh, do you want to move into our kind of last piece, but also I think our biggest? Yeah, let's go for it. We're gonna talk about sexy times.
1: good <laughs> <This gets> spicy. <laughs> I laugh a lot when I get uncomfortable. I love talking about sex, but for some reason, this is also very uncomfortable because I'm not just talking to you. I'm You're talking, on camera. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: I Through this whole process of filming our podcast, I have definitely learned that I'm a nervous giggler. Yes. <laughs> like it was very cringy for me to listen to our first episode because this high-pitched laugh kept coming out of me. And I was like, I mean, I know why do you laugh like that, but also why am I doing it every yeah. five seconds? It was kind of yeah. gross. <laughs> So, but yeah, we're going right. to talk about, we want to talk a lot about kinks and fetishes, and we want to talk about BBSM a little bit as well, because you wrote a paper about it.
1: Is that right? Yes. Yes, you did. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess I didn't say this in the beginning, but I am not somebody who, like, teaches about this or anything. It's just a very much a big passion of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, but in that same human sexuality class, I felt like it was very much like a huge awakening for me mm-hmm. I want to say like sexual awakening because it wasn't but
0: like <laughs> well I, we know where mine came from <laughs> Topanga
1: <laughs> but yeah it's just it was just a very informed unabashed eye-opening class for me and it was taught by a man which I thought that was going to be like super awkward because mm-hmm. I was just like this awkward 22 year old just sitting in the class very (laughs) inexperienced, Um, but yeah, he, he was really great. He had us do like one activity a month where we would have to get out of our comfort zones. And he had like a list of examples and he was like, get online and go to a gay men searching for gay men website and get on there and talk. Or if you are a female, get on a lesbian website and start talking to people Mm -hmm. like, figure out like tell every honestly he's like be honest that you are there to experience and learn because mm-hmm. um, don't lie to people right yeah don't not, get on like catfish yes. people <laughs> no he was like but there are chat rooms and he like gave us a whole bunch of them or he was like if you can find a dominatrix go to a dominatrix and
0: um, oh I God. definitely
1: chose one of the safer ones. Okay. Was... <laughs> I'm like, you went and met with a dominatrix, tell me that'll, everything. That would be super cool, but <laughs> I didn't. I read Fifty Shades of Grey, which now after I said all of those really cool things. Okay, I read Fifty Shades <laughs> of Grey too, so we can talk about that. Yeah, like it's, he was just like, read it and tell me what you think about it, and so that's what I did, and I listened to it during the day at my sales job, <laughs> <laughs> and I was sitting there, and I was like, I'm very dirty things and nobody (laughs) can hear me which was such a a crazy experience for me to begin Mm with um but yeah that was that was kind of the kickoff to my BDSM paper that I ended up writing as like my final that year and it was very eye-opening because Fifty Shades of Grey um really talks about not BDSM no it's Um, kind
0: of a what's
1: the word it's a fetish a fan A fantasy, an outside person's view of what BDSM might be. Right, and it gets a
0: lot, most, I think most of the most important things they get wrong. Yeah. Like, yeah, Christian Grey is kind of a disaster,
1: and I would never want to be in a relationship (laughs)
0: with
1: him. Yeah, Um, and it just kind of, like, there are lots of breaches of contract. Yeah. And that is not what the BDSM community is about. Right. Um, It is very much trust. Yeah. Um, It doesn't matter if you are the slave or the master, like you consented in this relationship. And it is a very detailed, most of the time it is a very detailed contract that you do see because you want to make sure that everything is covered. Right. Um, And you can say at any point when you feel uncomfortable or to be vulnerable at that moment and not feel like you are being put down for it and I feel like Anastasia does that all the time with Christian like she she very much like I know that they set up a safe word or whatever between the two of them but like she never really uses it because she doesn't know what she's doing right and that's the other thing like it's a very educated community to for Christian gray to bring somebody in that is so inexperienced and just kind of like throw her in.
0: Yeah. Come to my dungeon. Let me whip you. You don't know anything about this.
1: Well, and I know that she asks to like just immediately jump in or whatever, but she's, she doesn't know what's going on. And I feel like, correct me if I'm wrong for anybody, but like that would not happen No, or if it did happen, that is not the norm.
0: That's well, that's period. not what it's supposed to be about. Like you said, it's all about trust, it's all about yeah. consent. Like the whole point of it is like you're going to do these things that like some some of those things can border on dangerous, but they have to be done properly and they have to be done with everybody's consent. Mm-hmm. So
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Just want to make sure he's not on camera because he would really hate <laughs> that. <laughs>
1: um
0: but yeah, that that was, yeah. And also I think just the fact that he was really controlling, like outside of the bedroom, I was like, that's, that's not even a healthy, just like relationship Yeah. with the way that he handled certain things and like showcased severe jealousy. And that's like a super unhealthy trait. Cause like, how do you express trust in your relationship? If you're like low key stalking your partner, because right. you're worried about where they are, what they're doing, like that doesn't
1: exhibit trust at all. so
0: it just kind of misses i think a lot of the
1: cornerstones like the research yeah like the cornerstones like the research i mean if i mean i'm not speaking from this from experience at all so i could be totally wrong Mm -hmm. but from the research that i did it was just you do a lot of research to see if you are compatible like are you truly a dominant and a submissive mm-hmm. being able to come into the same room right and play those roles right now people switch on and off with those roles being being a dominant and then moving to a submissive with certain relationships and mm-hmm. vice versa mm-hmm. but knowing who is going to be compa combat sorry compatible Mm -hmm. with you and I feel like that just doesn't happen within 50 shades of gray I know that he's looking for a girl that looks like his mother with brown hair and
0: because that's healthy
1: (laughs) 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 like just just that I mean that's just physical right that's that's physical that's not somebody like he's clearly looking for somebody who is much more experienced in a submissive role Mm -hmm. um than what Anastasia truly is and so um, I think that the BDSM community gets a really bad rap for being this very dangerous community mm-hmm. and very dark and dirty when in actuality, it is a very loving, accepting, and trusting community. Yeah, um, They trust each other with very vulnerable parts of their bodies, right. experiences, fetishes, kinks, um, and hope that those people, that they are um interacting with don't put them down right and so to be able to go into a community like that um with such vulnerable information is absolutely amazing
0: yeah to me yeah no I totally agree and I think it really one of the things that really kind of bums me out is how kink shaming kind of became a thing for a minute on the internet and I'm just yeah. like like
1: no <laughs> let's let's get down to it like kinks and fetishes are just preferences right a little more more extreme like more um pinpointed Mm -hmm. i guess i would say like more specific more pinpointed of things that turn you on but that's that's not a bad thing it's just kind of like what we went back to with masturbation You just know what you like and what's going to get you where you want to go. Right. And so you try to find like-minded people, Mm -hmm. a like-minded community who will be able to interact with you in the way that you want.
0: Right. Well, and and people who won't shame you for, you know, liking what you like. And (sighs) I wish I didn't live here sometimes.
1: (laughs) We definitely don't live in as open of a community.
0: Right, right. And so, like, honestly, you're the first person that I've really been able to talk to about this kind of stuff because nobody else in my life is really, like, interested in it Mm -hmm. or sees the value. Like, I think sex is such an important part of relationship it's you know obviously it's a way to be close but it also is a way to express that vulnerability to express that trust Mm -hmm. and that's if if for me that's just such an important part of a relationship I mean and it should be for I think all healthy relationships yeah so um and also just like that physical closeness feels like you know they have like the five like love languages yeah physical touch is definitely like one of my love languages Mm -hmm. Probably because I have, like, body dysmorphia, and so I I do that thing where I'm just, like, will you just, like, touch my boobies so I know that you still like me, (laughs) which I know is probably not the most healthy thing, but I'm working on it.
1: (laughs) But it makes you feel good. I, I knew a co-worker who, when he was having a stroke or, like, felt a stroke coming out, he would go home during lunchtime and like go and feel his wife's boobies because it would make him feel better and it totally like his doctor was like if that's what works for you if that's what gets you like that um that high uh-huh. to get you out of your stroke then like go home and feel your wife's boobs as that's long as she's hilarious. Okay.
0: <laughs> can I
1: just I'm not feeling great can I just <laughs> <laughs> see it's just the opposite like I'm not feeling great. Feel my boobs.
0: yeah <laughs> that's so funny
1: ah <sighs> Else? is there anything else um we wanted to talk about um fetishizing people as yes well. yes um I almost forgot that we were going to talk about this yeah so that has okay that has something that has been something that i have come across recently on tiktok mm-hmm. um I'm not on kink talk anymore because TikTok totally like banned kink talk. Um, But there is this hashtag that's called book talk. And um, just this past week, there was a book review about a sapphic. It's it's a romance. It's a contemporary romance book um, dealing with two women. But like the main plot is that they're time traveling. So it's more of like a historical fiction. It just happens to have two women who love each other Mm -hmm. in the book Mm -hmm. Um, and this person goes on to say that they just didn't get the book they didn't understand the book and they didn't agree with the love that was being shared between these two women like they didn't understand it didn't like it she
0: wasn't into it
1: yes she wasn't into it but she's very into men loving men books Mm -hmm. Um, and that went on to have a lot of people coming back and kind of giving her some backlash for the things that she had said because she also went to some very racial terms um
0: yeah didn't she on. say
1: something like why would I read a book
0: about the ghetto if I don't want to live in the ghetto or something yeah or,
1: that's horrible in referencing like why would I want to read about women loving women if, if I I'm, don't like yeah women loving women. and that's a preference that's totally okay like you, if those aren't books that you get into totally fine yeah But when she goes on to say that she doesn't like women loving women books, but likes men loving men, there was this one uh, gay creator that I do follow that said, like, this lead led me, this comment led me to something that I find so very often in women. He's like, it's not necessarily the exact same thing that she was saying, but he's like, I get fetishized as a gay man. All the time. Yeah. He's like, I get labeled as the gay best friend. And I'm just like another tool in your tool belt to show that you were cool. Yeah. Or, to show that you're actually inclusive. Yeah. And so he talks about like, just fetishizing his sexual preference. And um, that happens like, with Asian women a lot, mm-hmm. too. Like there's another Um, culture that is very fetishized by being a submissive quiet um, culture and then being sought after for right um and so there there is a line that needs to be drawn where you start fetishizing people and who they are and where you are not loving those people for who they are you just love them for
0: what they represent yeah what they represent yeah and I think that's that's definitely I don't want to say it's a newer concept but I just think back to the like late 90s early 2000s when I think people start stopped being so afraid of homosexual people and so you started to see like the token gay guy in the movies and it was always this like hyper femme oh my god girl we're gonna be best friends let me take you to the mall let me pick out your outfit no 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 no. and it's just like stereotyping yeah for one but then also you do kind of you started to see this trend of women feeling like they were they were cool or they were um you know up to date with all the stuff if they had a gay bff yeah um which is just so stupid And I think that that's something I really respect and love about Gen Z is just that there's like, I love the fact that gender now runs on a spectrum. I mean, it always has, but that that's become so widely accepted. Yeah, that that gender runs on on a spectrum just like sexuality runs on a spectrum. And being exactly who you are is never wrong. Right. You know, but also it's not somebody's place to like basically make you an object. Yeah. Because of that. And like
1: <sighs> I like that you said that because it puts it's it puts it in perspective about objectifying people. Yeah. That's what that's what the basis of that whole comment 100%,
0: is. hundred percent. Yeah. Um yeah, I actually you so you told me about it and then I ended up like looking through some of the hashtags and stuff and I found because she took her video down mm-hmm. and then somebody reposted it mm-hmm. and I watched it and it was so disgusting. I just was super bugged by it. But I mean we don't want to shame her for you know having her preferences and whatever, but also like if you're just reading a book because of the gay scenes and like read straight smut or
1: like yeah, yeah. so but it, there's just a very fine line I guess that's what I'm saying mm-hmm. there's a very fine line between what um, is safe and what is not safe mm-hmm. and I feel like the BDSM community really does a, a very good job of not crossing those boundaries yeah um, and educating their community Well,
0: and that's something that should be integrated into all relationships, honestly, Mm -hmm. is like that level of, of respect, that level of trust and just having a contract. I mean, like your marriage certificate, you know, if you're going to get married, if you believe in that kind of thing could, should be that contract of like, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to trust you I'm going to respect you. But I know that previously that hasn't always been seen that way. Mm -mm. And it's like ownership. And I think a lot of people look at BDSM and they're like, oh, they're
1: your master, they're your owner. And it's like, only because I allow it. Yeah. Yeah, and know? only because they consented to the limitations that I right, set.
0: Right, and it's a transfer of power. Like it's
1: mm-hmm.
0: not, um, you know, I, I think that when I really first started looking at all that kind of stuff, my mind immediately went to, oh, well, the submissive actually has all of the power Because they decide, you know, what they're going to allow to have happen to that. But it also, if you really look at it, it is such a balance. Mm -hmm. Like you're choosing to be submissive to this person, but then they're choosing to kind of fill this role. Mm -hmm. And that's just such a cool thing that I wish existed in all relationships. Yeah. Because I
1: think it's important to be able to map stuff out that clearly. And I mean, like... Um, at first, when I was going through this, I was like, well, who, what type of people would want to be a dominant or what type of people would want to be a submissive? And like some of the examples that were given and um, some of my research, really, really good ones. Um, they talked about the woman who's submissive in her work all day long Um, she has a crazy boss that just rides her really really hard Mm -hmm. and she decides to be a dominant because she wants to be the one that's in control when she gets at home right Um, or vice versa with like a male Mm -hmm. say that they're the boss all day long at work and of course I'm going into two traditional gendered stereotyped like positions, right, Mm -hmm. going for the male that's usually the boss and the female who is the underemployee, but say that there's a man that just wants to relinquish power to somebody else who makes all of the decisions, right, and it could be as simple as you get home and you are told this is what we are having for dinner, this is what you're wearing tonight, and this is the movie that we're watching, Mm -hmm. like it can be as simple as that, it doesn't have to be dramatic, right, or not dramatic, but more in-depth than that. Yeah. You know, and so it's just a very diverse and varying community, and very, very respectful. Yeah. Of other people's time. And right. Preferences. Yeah. So.
0: And I think to kind of wrap up that whole thing, you, you and John kind of have this, like, overall saying that I really, really love, and it is, don't yuck someone's yum. Mm-hmm. Like it's not ever your place to step in and tell somebody what they're doing wrong in the bedroom in their life, um, because you don't live your you know you don't live their life and mm-hmm. you don't know what works for them. And um, as long as it's not hurting anyone, that's kind of my my just general. Life motto, I think, is it's like as long as whatever you're doing isn't hurting anyone, then Mazel Tov. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Jewish, but you know, j- just in, in live your life, yeah, and be respectful.
1: Yeah, I like that. Yeah, it's a very good phrase in my opinion. We use it in every single type of scenario. <laughs> yeah, kids eating boogers. Yuck
0: somebody (laughs) else's antibodies, they're getting you know, it's fine, (laughs) exactly. Kids eating dirt in the backyard, (laughs) all right. (laughs) Well, that was fun, yeah. No, I think that was great. Uh, thanks for joining us. Feel free to follow us on like all of the social medias, and um, we'll be back with another one sometime soon. Bye, everyone. Okay, <laughs> hey, love you. Bye.